Hey, um, like Marty said, my name is Brad Noel. I'm one of the staff pastors here. I oversee uh, worship and outreach, and um, I'm blessed to be able to share the word with you today. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Our ushers will be more than happy to get you a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21 today, and um, I know we've been working our way through Mark, <clears throat> and we would be in Mark chapter 12, but um, I believe Matthew chapter 21 gives us a better idea of this story. And uh, so Matthew chapter 21. You know, we're going to be uh, diving in. Hopefully you have some notes. On the back side of these notes here, um, we're going to go through a lot of these passages today. Typically when I'm, I'm trying to share with you guys, I want to make sure that the Bible is interpreting the Bible. And so you're going to find on, on here, there's a ton of scripture for you to look up on your own personal study, but then also some things that we're going to find today that the Old Testament and the New Testament um, are two bookends, and we're going to find how they kind of relate to us. And uh, the title of our message today is God's Promises to His Family. So will you stand with me and uh, let's read Matthew chapter 21. If you're new here, we stand for the honoring of God's word and the reading of his word. We place it as our authoritative peace in our life that we rest upon it. So as we read this, um, open your hearts and your minds and uh, let's, uh, let's see what the Lord has. Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 45. <clears throat> Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed, them, killed him. Excuse me. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, these are the, the religious leaders of the day. He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we want to grow our faith. We want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'll bring the remembrance of Scripture to us as we try to dissect um, some of this and to see what it means to be in your family and to hold on to your promises for your goodness and your grace, for you are deserving and that you are faithful. And we trust you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, may I have a seat. <clears throat> Before we dive into here, oops, I want to read uh, something that we sang today, and it's the Apostles' Creed. And some things that we as in Christendom stand upon these things as being some of the core beliefs of what we believe in as Christians. 
So bring your ears to attention for this. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is just a glimpse of some of the things that we rest upon and what we believe. And today when we talk about the promises of God to his family, I want you to keep in mind this specific verse. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. It says, For the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Another word for irrevocable is that he's not um, an Indian giver. You guys ever been on the playground when you're a kid and you're like, oh man, like, I know that's a derogatory term, but you know what I'm trying to, to tell you. Like he, he doesn't give it to you and then take it back. He, he's not like, oh, hey, I'm going to promise you this today and I'm not going to fulfill it tomorrow. He is good on his promise. So hold on to that in your minds as we kind of dissect this a little bit. As we look at our, our passage here, um, we find that there are some key components. And before we dive into that, turn to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible goes like this. It intersects each other. And as Jesus is speaking, he's speaking directly out of Isaiah chapter 5. So turn there with me. This is imperative, you guys, because as we read Scripture, many of your Bibles will have footnotes on the bottom, have a little letter or number or something like that. It gives reference to what the, the particular writer is trying to say. And we're going to read 1 through 7, and this is speaking of the vineyard. The title of this is The Vineyard of the Lord Destroyed. Let me sing of my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, vine, a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to, to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it, will, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down, and I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and the briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that the rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. This is the first uh, chess piece in our story today. The children of Israel. And we read throughout the Old Testament that God created a people to be different from every other person. Every other culture. Um, from every other race upon the earth. He set them to be his people. And we, we see in Matthew chapter 21 here that, that Jesus is speaking directly to the leaders of this people. And he says basically like, I am taking the kingdom away from you right now. 
Okay, so this is our first, first piece. As we dissect um, this particular passage, there's some key people that are here. First and foremost, the master. Who do you think the master is? God. God, right? So master is God. Um, the vineyard. The vineyard is Israel, as we stated in the latter parts of Isaiah chapter 5 there. The tenants. The tenants we find are the leaders of Israel. The servants that are sent. Prophets, priests, kings. What did Israel do to those prophets? Killed them. Stoned them. Sawed them in half. Put them in a pit. Didn't listen to them. The son. Pretty easy one, right? We said Jesus. Is Jesus. The son is Jesus in our story. And the other people are the Gentiles. Gentiles are you and me. There might be some Jewish descents that are in here, but the, the Gentiles are basically every other race of people that are not Jewish. And this parable talks about that God gave the children of Israel everything that they needed for success. He gave them a tower. He gave them a hedge. He gave them uh, good, good dirt to work with. He cleared the rocks. He cleared the way. And we find that the children of Israel basically spit in the, the face of God and said, we don't need you. We're going to do it on our own. We're going to chase our own idols, the Ashtoreths and the Baals, and, and all the different things that we read in the Old Testament of they, they do well for a season, then they sin. God sends a prophet and a judge, and they repent, and it's the cycle over and over and over and over and over. But here we find that God's patience is very long-suffering. It's been close to 2,000 years since, since God told Abraham that I'm going to make you the father of many nations, but particularly the father of the Israelites. So as we continue in our story here, we find that the Jewish people were set apart for God, as I had mentioned. But God, over the course of so many years, we find that he was very quiet. Between Malachi and, and John the Baptist, it was a close to 400 years that God had not spoken or sent a prophet to them. In fact, God took Israel and kind of put them on the back burner. They had persecuted the prophets. They had chosen foreign gods. They became arrogant. They became proud. We read that they were in different captivities through Egypt, through Babylon, through Persia. And now under the authority of Rome, Jerusalem wasn't theirs. And now Jesus comes and speaks to them directly in the temple. Uh, Mark chapter 11 talked about that he came in, he took the money changers and he threw them out. And he said, you make my father's house a den of, of thieves. And now he's standing in the synagogue in that place proclaiming to these religious leaders that they basically have been rejected of God. Isaiah chapter 5 described Israel as being wild grapes. So they allowed the thorns and the thistles and the things to come in. They weren't tending to the people. And this word for wild grapes was, was, was a grape that wasn't used for anything but to be destroyed. It says that it was stinking or that it was worthless. Things that were not fitting for the king of kings. And this was a fulfillment from Deuteronomy chapter 28, all the way back to the time of Moses, when God told Moses to tell the group of Israelites that, that the Lord told them that if they continue on the path of destruction and following themselves or the things of the world, that God would send them from basically the east from the west. He would disperse them throughout the whole world. 
prophecy fulfilled in uh, AD, AD 70 when Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem and killed thousands upon thousands of, of Jews. So, okay, so we, we talk about Israel, God's people. The next chess piece is, is us, church. And it says that in our passage that God was going to give the kingdom to another, give it to other people that are going to be fruitful. And the beginning of the church started in, in um, Acts chapter 2. We, we read that Peter uh, and the rest of the disciples were in, in the upper room. They were waiting for the helper to come. The Holy Spirit comes. They spoke in tongues of fire. Three to 5,000 people got saved that day, and it was the, the beginning of the church. But before we dive into this, I want to make um, this perfectly clear to you that the church and Israel are not the same. Israel is separate. They, we are separate entities. Um, and if you took geometry or uh, algebra, and you remember like the um, Piedmas, I remember it as Piedmas, like orders of operation. Yes? Anybody do, do that before? Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, whatever that looks like. Okay, think of Israel as the parentheses. We're the exponent. Okay, so like we're just, God turned his face away from Israel for a moment to give birth to the church, that the gospel may be coming to you and me, the Gentile people, that we might be saved. What an awesome promise. Listen to this as Peter, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am out of Matthew chapter 16? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the Catholic Church gets this wrong. They say it's upon Peter the rock. No, it's the confession that Peter had, the gospel, Christ and as we read in our passage here, the cornerstone that we are building the church upon is him and him alone. It's not by man, it's not by our power, but it's by his grace, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his sacrifice. It's built on him and him alone. But the church is built, and which started what is called the dispensation of grace. We're all in that, that time period of grace. Before then, the law was king. And the people, the, the, the leaders of the day knew that the law was king. Because when Jesus asked them, what should the, the master do? And they're like, that person should be killed. Those tenants should have a miserable death. They knew it. They knew it from beginning to end. And I believe as soon as they said that, they knew that the lumps of coal were stacked on their head. And they were like, oh, man, you're talking to me. I killed the prophets. I did it. But this introduced us to the beautiful church that we see around the world that was started on a day of Pentecost and will ultimately, when we see Jesus in the sky in the rapture, will end then. And I will close the time of the Gentiles. The church, the Greek word, ekklesia. You want to say that with me? It's kind of a fun word. Ekklesia. One more time. Ekklesia. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's defined as an assembly, the called out ones, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, with Christ being the head. 
This is you, this is me, this is those who have professed with their mouth and believe in their heart the Lord Jesus. That through his sacrifice, we will be saved. Not of our own works, not of what we can do, but what he has done. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. It's a beautiful picture. The apostle Paul is known as the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's writing this to the Roman church at the time. It's a little bit of a lengthy part of Scripture here, but we're going to begin in verse 11, Romans chapter 11 through 25. And we have both Israel spoken of here and the church, a distinction. So I ask, did they, this is Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, was grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Remember, the root is Jesus, right? Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Oh, what an amazing promise that God has for the children of Israel that one day he will bring them back. But then also it's a promise for you and me that we are grafted in. Have you ever seen grafting being done? If you haven't, think of, um, I think that the Japanese culture a lot of times does it with bonsai trees. Like they'll, they'll cut a part of it, they'll grab a, a live branch, stick it into it, put some sap around it sometimes, wrap it up, and then all of a sudden in a couple months or whatever, it's part of the tree. It's pretty cool. Look it up online. Google it. Hey, Google, show me grafting. You'll find it out. But a pretty cool in it, illustration of how God brought a people that were foreign, that were enemies, that were Gentiles into the fold. He brought you and me into the family of God. This opens up to the whosoevers. 
we did a, an outreach a couple months ago from this group that's called the Whosoever's, and they basically are an evangelistic group for skaters and snowboarders and stuff. But um, may these three verses ring in your mind of the Whosoever's. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth in, God dwelleth, dwelleth in him, and he in God. John 3.16, we all know that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is a great one. Paul talks to the church of Galatia, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. What a great promise. You are one with him. This is great news. Whether it be the first time you heard it or the umpteenth time that you've heard it, you are one with Christ. He loves you. You are seen as righteous. You are seen by the Father as forgiven. You are no longer enemies, which leads us to what is called the preservation of the saints. God promises that he will not leave you nor forsake you, that he will be with you hand in hand, that no matter what trial or tribulation may come, he promises that he is there in your midst. He promises that he loves you, that he cares for you. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29, uh, made this promise reassure you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Praise God. I can't lose my salvation. Praise God that, that God keeps me that he promises to continually ask that we would come, yes, to repentance. But I remember as a kid, like, I had the whole God in, as a hammer in heaven, right? Like, he's ready just to smash you. I remember going to sleep at night, like, oh, if I don't ask for forgiveness for my sins and I die in my sleep, I'm going to go to hell. Like, I had that thought. That's not what God says to you. God holds you. He forgives you. He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west. He promises to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We praise God for that. For he promises to finish and to accomplish what he has set forth. He's the author and perfecter of your faith, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. That is great news. Psalm chapter 86 states, But you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and in truth. Going back to Israel for a moment, they had that 2,000-year that span that God was, was slow to anger, that he wooed them and called them, but they kept, we studied uh, Hosea a few years ago, and, but they became harlots. They kept going out to other things. It's the same for you and me that God is slow to anger toward us. He's slow to anger toward people in the world that they may come to repentance. God is not done. He continues to be a man of his word. 
and to fulfill his promises. Numbers chapter 23 states that God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he not spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Church, rest upon the promises of God. As we turn our attention back to Israel just for a moment, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Now we've, we've established that God is not done with Israel. We've established that God has built the church, you and me, to be part of that family. But God has, has promises that he has in the future for both you and us, um, or excuse me, Israel and us. And Jeremiah 31 states it this way. You can read this in also Hebrews chapter 8. Again, the Bible interprets the Bible. Cross-references. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 8, I believe. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them on the hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Maybe you're sitting there like, Why are we talking about Israel? Israel's important. It's an important piece in last day events. It's an important piece in, in God's plan for humanity. And I believe some of those things have, have taken place and started to kind of get the ball rolling. And on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation again. That's, that's, a, that's a huge thing, guys. Look, your redemption draws near. Matthew chapter 24 is a, a great um, place where if you want to look toward end times things and, and things that are happening, but I want to leave you with three questions in your mind as we look at the children of Israel and the promises to them and the promises to us. Out of our passage, we, um, Jesus talked about the cornerstone that was rejected. The cornerstone was basically the, the main stone for the foundation of the whole building. You know, it's like the foundation that we have. If we don't have a foundation, our, our, our house falls down. You can talk to engineers about that, right? It needs to be right. So one, have you accepted the cornerstone? The answer is yes or no. You can answer that in your own heart. Or have you rejected it just as the Jews has? Again, today is the day of salvation. Number two, God will fulfill his promises. Do you believe it? you believe that whether promises to Israel or the church or to you, that he is faithful, that he will pull through? Has he failed you yet? I'd say no. We count on him to accomplish it. 
Matthew chapter 24, like I said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He's unwavering. He's unchanging. He's the rock in which we build our home on. Then lastly, the time of the Gentiles. I spoke of that briefly. It began with King Nebuchadnezzar until the rapture of the church. That's kind of like the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles will indeed come to a close. Are you ready? Do you know the signs? Do you know that Christ will return for his bride? Time is short. Be bold. Share your faith. Be ready in season and out of season to share the hope that lies within. Had a unique opportunity this past week. Leo, my wife, and I um, try to reach out to our neighbors as much as we can. And uh, there's a lady that lives across the way. She's single, um, kind of older hippie lady. Um, there's been moments where I come out and there's pictures of chickens and cows outside because she, she goes and saves animals. Well, struck up, struck up a conversation the other day and she told me that her brother had tried to commit suicide twice in the past like two months. I was like, whoa, that's heavy. And she was like, my, my sister, you know, she lives here in town and she's sick and um, you know, possibly you know, may die soon. And I just looked at her and said, you know, I, I don't have all the answers for you, but can I pray for you? And she was like, you know, I'm not a religious person, but uh, I welcome your prayer. And I asked her, well, can I put my arm around you? You know, she's been kind of standoffish. She's made it known that she doesn't like kids, and I have three. So, <laughs> but um, she said, yeah. So in the middle of a cul-de-sac, I got to wrap my arms around her, pray for her, pray for her family. And then in Jesus' name, at least to say that we love you, we care for you, we're here for you. And I say that not to bolster what I was doing, but the fact of the matter that it's small, seeds, planting seeds. And one day maybe I'll be able to harvest, or maybe Angie will harvest. She's befriended her. They have two small little dogs, so they see each other walking sometimes. It's the same for you, whether you're in the grocery store, you're at work, somebody you interact with, somebody you see, and God prompts your heart to share the gospel. Do you quiver in fear and run away? Or are you bold to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus loves you, he cares for you, he died for you, he rose again, that you might have eternal life? I can't say that I'm bold all the time. I try to be. At least as the day approaches now, it has stirred in my heart, and I pray that it stirs in your heart that you'll be bold too. Matthew chapter 24, as we kind of bring things to a close. Ben, you guys can come on up. Um, we have a few more verses I want to share with you. But Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 through 33, it says, From the fig tree, learn this lesson. Um, as soon as the branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know summer is near. So also, when you see these things, you know he is near at the very gate. He's knocking. The imminent return of Christ could happen at any moment in the next five minutes, or maybe he's going to be long-suffering more to wait another 2,000 years. I don't know. But just as the apostles were, they were expecting him at any moment, at any time. 
And all the more as we see the day approaching, we will see some of these things occur. Listen to Paul as he admonishes young Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love oneselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. You turn on the news lately? That verse right there was like, whoa. Some crazy things. And by all means, I'm not being a prophet. Saying Jesus is coming back in 2026. No. Jesus is coming back. Look for his coming. Anticipate it. Be bold for him. As one of my mentors said, be a fool for Jesus. Step out in faith this week. Maybe God's going to use you to bring somebody into the kingdom. For his loving kindness is, is great. His mercy is new. His grace is sufficient. Let's be on mission for him. Amen? Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you that we can open your scriptures. We thank you for the fundamental beliefs of what we stand upon. As that Apostles' Creed basically states that you are the one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has breathed life into the church, that will breathe life into Israel one day, that you will rend the heavens and come back and rule and reign with your people. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. I thank you for my friends. I pray even now as they leave this place that you will empower them to do the work of the ministry, whether that be through a trunk or treat, handing out a piece of candy, looking for an opportunity to share the gospel, or even at the grocery store as they leave, or maybe even on a soapbox. I don't know what you have for these folks, Lord, but I know that you've called us to be on your mission. Lord, for your glory, may you be with them now. In Jesus' name, amen.